Welcome, and thank you for downloading Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Here at Movement, we are passionate about God's Word and helping each other move closer to God. Thank you for choosing to grow with us today. And now, here's our lead minister, Bobby Wallace. Um, As we said, we're going through this series, uh, The Quest, and we're talking about the quest to be financially healthy in a way that honors God. I want to ask you a couple of questions. Um, What's one of the best gifts you've ever received? I want you to think about it. If you you want to be brave and yell it out, yell it out. Dirt bike. Dirt bike, okay. Car. Traveling with friends. friends. What did you say? House. Man, there you go. That's, That's a gift. Anybody else? How about um, one of the best gifts you've ever given? Like, that made you the happiest to give? A house? <laughs> you gave Paul a house? That's right. <laughs> anybody? Anybody? Time? That, that's a very good gift. Undervalued by a lot of people. Dirt bike. <laughs> um, I'll tell you about a couple of gifts. Uh, one of the best gifts that I ever received was one of the most painful gifts I ever received is when um, my beautiful bride, Sherry, and most of you have been around for a minute, you've heard this story. It was funny. I heard somebody's been here for a while. They hadn't heard it. I was like, I'm falling down on my job. Uh, so here you go. So we started dating early when I went to uh, Roanoke Bible College, which is now Mid-Atlantic Christian University. We met each other the very first weekend I was there, and pretty soon after we started dating, got kind of serious about one another, dated for a couple months. My birthday rolls around October 7th, and we go out. She takes me out to dinner. She pays she gives me a gift and then we go back to campus we get into a disagreement and she dumps me on my birthday and man that hurt because I knew I knew that she was the one I did I really did that sounds cheesy but I dated a lot of people and this this girl was different and uh, it was a silly thing and I do have to go on record because I'm not petty and I have to point out that she had later admitted she was wrong I'm not petty, so don't think that I'm petty by pointing that out. It's just, it, it needs to go on the record. And so anyway, so that was honestly, as much as it hurt, that was the best gift I ever got. One of the best gifts I ever got because we got back together. Good story, right? I'm a preacher. I get to tell that all the time, and it just works. It was the best gift that she ever gave. And then the best gift that I, one of the best gifts I ever got to give was on my birthday, two years later, when I proposed to her on my birthday. Because like I said, I'm not petty. I, I don't do anything to be able to rub it in. I, I don't do anything like that. But it, it was, it, she said yes, and you know, the rest is history. We've been married, this would be 23 years in August. And so that's really, yeah, I, I'm proud of that. Um, but I'll tell you another gift, and I just mentioned this very recently, but uh, to me, it was one of the coolest gifts that Sherry and I got to give uh, when we were first married, you know, we, we wanted to have kids and, you know, a, a couple years passed and it, it was more difficult than we thought it was going to be. And we know other people have, have struggled much worse. And so we're not making light of any of that, but it was tough for us. And we found out we were pregnant with our first child right at Christmas. And we were able to give the gift of our uh, parents opening up gifts with little things that let them know that they were going to be grandparents. And that was one of the coolest things ever, to see just the the joy on their face, the joy on their face. And that that was such a cool gift. But 
we give gifts a lot of times, of course at birthdays, but at Christmas, a lot of us, when we think gifts, a lot of us think Christmas gifts, and that is a really, really cool tradition. And a lot of people talk about how that tradition got started, and some people like to attribute it to a you know, jolly old fat guy, uh, some people call Saint Nick, but most of us, if we know a little bit about scripture, know that really the tradition probably got more of its start from uh, some wise men that we hear about in the story of the birth of Jesus, who come a little bit after Jesus is born, and they deliver gifts. They deliver three gifts, and uh, these guys are called the wise men or the magi, and they come and they give gifts, and so especially believers have given gifts for centuries, uh, sort of in honor of Jesus. And so we think about that. It's a great lesson for all believers that we learn from these wise men or these magi because they understood a powerful lesson. They were coming to worship this new savior, this new king that was being born, and they brought gifts. When you give, it's an act of worship. That's a great lesson for us to understand. Worship and giving go hand in hand. I just shared recently about two amazing godly women who helped me pay for my college. And honestly, I cannot make enough noise about the fact that this church would not have been here if it weren't for those two women's faithful giving to God through helping me pay for school. It was just a powerful thing. And I, I, I think about them often and I thank God about them often. And they gave thousands of dollars. I mean, thousands of dollars. I mean, to me, can y'all imagine? I mean, you're shocked, right? They, they, for me to be able to go into the ministry. But I'll tell you this, and I tell this from time to time too, but when I was thinking about going into ministry, I was really struggling because I had gone through East Carolina University for three years. Uh, I had not done well the past couple of years because my heart just wasn't in it. And I finally realized that I, was, I needed to go into ministry. And so then it was this struggle. Well, I, the finance part of it, my, my education costs were going to go up about 10 times if I was going to go to Bible college. And because I had sort of messed up a little bit, my parents were grateful I was going to go into ministry, but they were like, you're going to be paying for this. And I'm like, okay, it's fair enough. <laughs> And so I was struggling. I was thinking about how I'm going to do this. Well, I was really thinking, can I do this? And one day I was sitting in my apartment. It was pouring down rain. And my roommate comes in and he's shaking the rain off of him. And he said, this was on your windshield underneath your windshield wiper. And it was a little envelope wrapped in aluminum foil. And it had my name on, written in Sharpie on it. I've still got the thing. And I opened it up very carefully. I opened the envelope that was on the inside. It was an old school, uh, for those of you a little bit older, this old printed on a computer card. You remember those little dot matrix? Those kind of printers. They had made one of those little cards. And it had Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. And then it also talked about storing up for yourself treasures in heaven. Where moth and rust do not destroy. Where thieves do not break in and steal. And it had $100 in it. And in 2023, you hear a hundred bucks. And I was like, wow, I could buy a cup of coffee. <laughs> it was a lot more back then. But even if it hadn't been a lot more back then, it was a pile of riches. Because I knew that these small handful of people that knew that I was considering ministry were college students just like me and nobody else. And still to this day, I don't know who it was that gave a lot of money to them 
for somebody like me who had screwed up so many times to be able to go and help learn to preach God's word. And I'm so grateful that people understand that giving to God is an act of worship. Giving to God changes lives. I am a walking, living, breathing testimony to that because I really don't know if I would have gone. I don't know if I would have made the leap to go to Bible college if I hadn't got that $100 bill. And you may think, man, that's just a drop in the bucket of what it cost, but it gave me the courage to know that God was going to provide. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt now, looking back, that God provided for that person. They probably never missed that $100. And I know for a shadow of a doubt that he continues to provide for me and my family, and he will provide for you. So giving to God changes lives. It's life-giving and life-changing for the recipients. And honestly, it's more so life-changing for the givers. Can I get an amen from people who've experienced it? It's life-giving and life-changing. Yet, the sad truth is, is that many believers still haven't made this discovery. Why? Well, there's a couple reasons, I think. I think many of us have been duped by our culture to believe that happiness and success come from getting things rather than giving things. Uh, Studies show that the average American sees from six to 10,000 ads a day. Six to 10,000 ads a day. You think about it. You're driving by billboards. You see things on cars. You see things on your phone. You see things on TV. You see constant, constant ads. And they pay, and you may think, well, advertisements don't work on me. If they didn't work, companies would not pay millions and millions of dollars to celebrities and advertising companies to get you to buy stuff because they're not going to spend money that doesn't make more money back. And so they will pay, you know, countless people, LeBron James, Michael Jordan, you know, all these different people, you know, different celebrities. They'll pay these people millions of dollars just to simply use their product and wear their product because they know that it will convince us that we could maybe just be cool enough like those people. And we'll be in the same little group, the same little clique of that celebrity if I buy this product. If I get this stuff, I'll just be happy finally. But also another reason is that fear keeps many people from giving. Fear keeps people from giving. A lot of us have a scarcity mindset. I've struggled with that at times in my life, and I'm really learning more and more the past 10, 15, 20 years just how much God does provide and getting away from that scarcity mindset. But if you don't believe it, I've got one little case study that shows you that a lot of us have a scarcity mindset. You guys remember back in the year 20 and 20 of our Lord? Three years ago, which seems like an eternity, early about March, what happened? Pandemic broke out. And guess what we hoarded at the beginning of 2020? Toilet paper. Y'all were losing your minds. Not me, not me, y'all. I'm kidding. I, I probably did too. But we lost our minds about toilet paper. We're like, Mm-mm, toilet paper, give me, give me, give me, give me. And we were like, you know, the little seagulls on Finding Nemo, mine, 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 mine. And we're attacking people for toilet paper. Give me my toilet paper. And people are stacking up toilet paper. I mean, it's unreal. If you don't believe that we as a culture have a scarcity mindset, this idea of I've got to grab onto everything I need, I need, I need, I need because I'm not going to be fulfilled, then you are fooling yourself. 
It might not hit you personally, but I guarantee if you find the right thing, maybe toilet paper is not your thing. But there's some things that you hold on to and you are so afraid of. Fear can control us. And when crises or the fear of a crisis strikes, many people begin, become stingy and we defend ourselves. We're saying, well, I'm just being wise. I'm just being frugal. I'm just being prepared. I know that I will probably need 450 million sheets of toilet paper. I, I'm going to need it. You got real problems if you need that much toilet paper, just so you know. See a doctor ASAP. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. Being wise and being prepared, it's, it's a good thing to a point. But let me say this. If your quest, if my quest for financial health that honors God, and that's what we're talking about through this whole series, doesn't include giving, you're in danger of becoming like a guy Jesus talked about in the story we shared last week. The man who looked and saw all he had and said, look, I've got so much more. I need to tear down my barns and build bigger barns. And it said, Jesus said that he wasn't rich towards who? God. And he told that guy, he said, you fool, your very life tonight will be demanded of you. And what you think is yours is going to be given to somebody else. You know, who's going to have it then? And we can be, if we're motivated by fear and the idea I've got to hold on, hold on, hold on to more and more stuff, we're in danger of becoming like that kind of person. There's that fine line of where we go from being prepared, go from being wise to being greedy and being focused and based off of fear. And so first, if we want to honor God in our quest, we've got to take a look at some biblical principles. And the first place that I think we need to do is we need to figure out exactly where we fit in. There are four types of people when it comes to giving. The first one, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but the first one is this, greedy people. Greedy people are out there in this world, we, we have no doubt. Now, I want to assume most of us don't fit in that category. Most of us don't fit in that category. I'm not going to spend a lot of time there. But these are people who just rarely give to anyone. You know, they would not give to anybody. You know, if they saw them struggling right there in front of them, they just won't give. And there are some people out there, but I don't think that's most of us. So number two is this, givers. Very simple, givers. This is someone who gives safely. Someone who gives safely. Um, they know their needs out there and they're happy to help. The, you know, they're, they're even joyful about it at times. But first, they've got to check the bank balance. They have to make sure they do accounting. They got to make sure every penny is taken care of. I have to check the bank balance. And they might even subscribe to like the idea of a tithe or 10% that you see throughout the Old Testament. But if they do, they view their giving, whether it be 10% or 3% or 50% or whatever it might be, they view it as an obligation to fulfill rather than an act of joy and an act of worship. It's an obligation. Well, I got to do this. I'm going to do it. And they might even be sort of happy about it, but it's an obligation. Now, I want to pause there. Um, here at our church, we don't talk about the, the tithe a lot. And that's a, you know, if you've been around church a long time, you probably heard that word and you may or may know, not know what it meant, but it was the idea of 10% of what you had that was given a, a lot in the Old Testament. And people would look at it, and uh, some people say, well, you shouldn't even talk about it in the church as a part of the New Testament church because it's an Old Testament thing. But if you look at Scripture, it actually predates the Old Testament as in the Old Covenant, the giving of the law. The first place we ever see 10% or the tithe being given was by a guy named 
Abraham, that's right. Abraham goes and has this great victory. He comes back and he meets this guy who's this mysterious guy by the name of Melchizedek, the king of Salem, which actually means the king of peace, which actually was the place that became Jerusalem. Uh, now, there's a whole other story there that, you know, a lot of people debate that could have actually been the pre-incarnate Jesus. We don't know, but that's an idea that's very, very thought of because it never talks about his beginning. It never talks about his end. At the very least, he's a symbol or a type of Jesus. He's a, uh, you know, a, a foreshadowing of Jesus to come. But Abraham meets this guy and he knows that he's big stuff. And so he gives him a 10% of everything that he had in the spoils of his victory. And so that predates the giving of the law when Moses comes many years later, right? Remember that whole thing? So there was a tithe given before that. But here's the thing. When you look at the heart of the New Testament and even at a couple of literal examples in the New Testament, it seems like the early church probably participated in giving much more than 10%. Much more than 10%. Acts chapter 2, verse 45, right after the church is really starting to take off after the day of Pentecost, it says that they, Christians, sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. If you're selling property and possessions and just giving uh, just generally to, to people who are in need, that's a lot more than 10%, right? I mean, if you're selling property, we know that that's a lot more than 10%. And then speaking about uh, Barnabas, it says in Acts chapter 4, remember him, the encourager? Acts chapter 4, verse 37, it says that he sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So he had this whole piece of property. He came and lays it at the apostles' feet for, the church to, uh, for it to be used for the church to distribute, to help the gospel be spread. And then you go on and you see in Paul's writings to the, about the Macedonian Christians there in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, it says this. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Did you catch that? They are going through, the Macedonian Christians were going through a very difficult time and even described it as being involved in poverty. But then he said they gave a what? Very generous gift to these Corinthian Christians. They were going through a difficult time, but their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Verse 3, for they gave according to their means, to what they had, as I can testify, and beyond their means. Sounds like a lot more than probably 10%, wouldn't you say? It might not have been a big dollar figure because they were in poverty, but they gave a large percentage. I think it's fair to make that guess based on what Paul's saying. Continuing on, it says, beyond their means, of their own accord. So it was their choice. Nobody guilted them into it. Nobody said, this is what you got to do. They heard the gospel. They believed it. They obeyed it. And they said, our brothers and sisters are in need, so we're going to give, and we're going to give generously. And here's where it gets really cool. Verse 4. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in this relief of the saints. The churches at Macedonia, the Christians at Macedonia begged. They said, please, can we give a lot? And we're broke. It, it, it's unbelievable. The only thing that I can say is that when Jesus gets involved, that's when things happen like that. When Jesus really gets a hold of somebody, and we'll talk about that a little bit more later. So that leads us to the Macedonians, and, and there's the next type of givers. 
generous givers. A generous giver, so you had giver first, now you got generous givers, they're less calculating. Generous givers are less calculating. They're often moved to, to outbursts of generosity. You know, they just like, oh, I've got, I've got to do this. Here's a need. Many times a, a generous giver might be spurred by a missionary, um, their story or a natural disaster that takes place, or they see their coworker has some really big medical bills, and there's like, I can give, I'm going to give. And they just do it, you know, and they don't really put a lot of thought into, do I really have the funds? You know, they're not calculating every little thing, and they just give. Now, here's one thing I think it's worth pointing out. It's not necessarily a wealthy person. Now, many wealthy people are like that, but it's not necessarily a wealthy person. Sometimes some of the most generous givers out there uh, are willing to give and they don't have a lot, you know, and, and that can be found in this. It's not about the size of their bank account, but about the size of their heart and the size of their faith. The size of their heart and the size of their faith that make them generous. But here's the fourth type, a radical giver. A radical giver is even a little bit more farther along down the, the spectrum, if you will. And if people knew what some of these radical givers give, many would call them crazy. Even, even Christians might call them crazy. You know, if you really knew what some of these people, and nine times out of ten, this kind of person is never going to let you know what kind of radical giving they give. You know, they give to the church, they give to charities, they give to people as they have needs. They just give, 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 give. And if you saw the amount, if you knew the amount, you would think this person is absolutely nuts. You know, there are people that I'm not talking about Elon Musk, you know, Jeff Bezos. I'm not talking about those crazy next level, unbelievably rich people. I'm talking about Christians who, you know, might be wealthy or they may not be wealthy and they just give thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars and some of them even millions if they have that capacity. As people have needs, they give to the church regularly. They give, they give, they give. And if you want to know a great example in Scripture, it comes from a little story, sorry, no pun intended, about a little guy named Zacchaeus. Anybody remember him? If you grew up in church, you're probably already singing the song. Anybody singing the song? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down for I'm going to your house today, for I'm going to your house today. There you go. Thank you. Thank you for joining in. <laughs> Nobody can say we don't have a choir at Movement, so we, we've had a choir. We'll order the robes next week. Uh, but anyway. But you know that story, if you've been around the Bible a little bit, if you don't, it's, uh, it says he's a little guy. We're not being mean. He, it says he's a little man, so he couldn't see above the crowds as Jesus was coming through. So he climbed up in a tree so he could get a better look, and Jesus stops and is like, hey, man. And he starts this whole conversation. He goes to his house, and the response that Zacchaeus has from Jesus sitting at his table, which, shocker, a tax collector. Jesus kind of did that thing a lot of times, right? Meal with a tax collector. Totally frowned upon by the Jews. They did not like it. And here's what Zacchaeus says uh, in Luke chapter 19, verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. Half of everything he had, he gave away to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. So here's why tax collectors were hated so much. They were supplied or paid by the Romans. They were given their job. And this guy was a Jewish guy who was working for the Romans. Strike one, right? 
So he goes, he collects taxes. The Romans said, you collect, you collect let's just say, $100 from each person. Whatever you want to tack on as shipping and handling fees, so to speak, is totally up to you, and you will have the full force of the Roman army behind you. So he could say, you owe Rome $100, but you're going to pay me $200. So your bill is $300. And so, of course, they hated him because he was stealing from them. He was just charging these great fees. All tax collectors did it. And so the, when he says, if I have you know, cheated anybody, we all know the answer to that, right? He had cheated a lot of people. But he said, I'm not just going to pay it back. What am I going to do? I'm going to pay it back four times the amount to every single person. He gave half of it away. That tells you this guy had been robbing a lot of people blind, right? <laughs> if he can give half of his money away and then still pay, pay people back four times the amount. But he does this. He's radically changed. You see, a commitment to quit stealing would have been a big deal, right? The, uh, the believers, the disciples of Jesus, they'd been like, wow, that's pretty awesome, right? Wouldn't they have said that? Wouldn't you have said that? Oh, he's just going to quit stealing. That's good. He's going to change his whole way of life. Giving to the poor, more impressive, right? And then when he says four times giving back to people that he wronged, that is a radical giver. Am I right? That's a radical giver. Why aren't more believers radical givers? think it's because a lot of us haven't had a Zacchaeus moment with Jesus. A lot of us just haven't had this moment when we just have been radically changed by Jesus, a deeply profound encounter with Jesus that changes everything for us. And there are many people across our nation that attend church every Sunday and sing songs and listen to messages, but never truly encounter Christ. They may hear a lot about him. They may know a lot about him. But they never truly surrender everything. When people truly surrender everything to Jesus, they move from non-givers to givers. And then oftentimes from givers to generous givers. And then ultimately, if they keep on growing and maturing and, and growing in their faith, they can move from generous to radical givers. And I want you to imagine for just a moment, just, just pause right now, what would the world look like if every single one of us in here were radical givers? J just us, just us. I'm not talking about all the other churches. I'm not talking about all the other Christians. I'm talking about just us. What would this world look like? What would this community look like if all of us were radical givers? You've been seeing about what's going on at Asbury in Kentucky. I believe this will be a bigger, bigger news. If, if a, a body of believers just all became radical givers and just started doing things that just blew people's minds to help spread the gospel and help spread the love of Jesus, I believe that's a greater story because there's going to be real deep impact that's going to take place. And if we did that, there's no telling to what God would show up and do. So the question is, the question is, what would it look like if we all took the next step from where we are to where the next step is in our giving? But before you move on, you've got to answer an honest question. Where do you fit in to those four categories? Now, I want to challenge you to not simply give the answer that you want to give or that you want to be, but what it really looks like in your giving. Not your intentions. You know what my mom used to tell me all the time? The road to hell was paved 
with good intentions. She told me that all the time. Not just what you intend to give, but what does your real giving look like? Which of those four categories do you fit into? Do you really give? A lot of us like to think that we're more generous than we actually are. Now, just to be honest, I want you to answer that. I'm not checking your answers. I, I might ask the Lord, tell me what is it? No, I'm not. I'm just kidding. I'm not checking on you. But answer the question for you. Not everyone, let me say this, not everyone has to be a radical giver, but I believe everyone can be. I believe everyone can be. But as Darren says in this uh, book that we've been basing this, this series off of, The Quest, as Darren says, every believer should at least be a generous giver. And I agree with him. Every believer should at least be a generous giver. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 and 18 says this, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. He says, tell the church to be generous, to just give, 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 and do good works to help people get to know Jesus. But it's really easy to make excuses not to give, isn't it? And, and many of the excuses are very real. I, I can make a lot of excuses, and they have a lot of grounds in truth. You know, how many times have we all said, well, you know, I can barely pay my bills as it is. You know, I, I, can't, I can't give right now. Or, or maybe, you know, I haven't had a raise in two years, or my kids need braces, or my car is on its last leg. You know, uh, you know things are tight right now, but when things get better, I'm going to give more. We probably all mouth those same excuses and maybe many more, and we could probably fill a book with them, all the ones, just the ones that I've done. Life can be difficult at times, and I'm not negating that effect. I'm not, not arguing that fact. It can be very difficult, but there are always people who destroy the foundation of our many excuses by their response to life's difficulties. And, and Darren writes about somebody, and I'm just going to read a, a, a little section here out of page 45 in his book. He says, in the first church capital campaign that I was a part of all the way back in the middle 90s, that's the 1900s, y'all, <laughs> I met a single mother with three kids. She wanted to give to the campaign, but her budget was so tight she couldn't even spare a nickel beyond her regular weekly offering. So she still gave, even though things were so tight. But so she decided just to pray for the campaign instead of giving. One day, her children came home from Sunday school, all excited. They had heard a lesson about sacrificial giving and asked their mom what sacrifice that they could make as a family so that the other kids could hear about Jesus. After a lengthy discussion, they decided as a family the only way to come up with some extra money would be cancel, to cancel their cable TV subscription and give that money to the building campaign instead. They all agreed and ended up giving the campaign $1,530 over the next three years. It was one of the smallest gifts, but it impacted the entire church. You see, there's always a way that we can give if we've got the desire to help God's kingdom grow. There's always a way. And there's always people who will take our excuse, and they may have had every reason to have that excuse for themselves, but they will keep and just bust it wide open. And she sounds a lot like a widow that we hear about Jesus talk about in Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 41. Jesus, as he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box, many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which added up to about a penny. 
And he called his disciples to him and he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. It's mind-boggling, but there are, this isn't a parable. This is a true encounter, a true life event that Jesus witnessed. And he said she gave more than all the wealthy people combined, really. She gave more because she gave and trusted God to really provide for. To everyone else, that was radical. That was crazy. But not when you consider Jesus. Like Frank talked about during our communion, the suffering that Jesus went through he gave everything for you and I. He gave it all. When you consider Jesus, it, it doesn't seem crazy at all. When you consider his example, and when you deeply trust Jesus, it's just what you do. It's just what you do. So when we follow Jesus, there's simply no excuse for not giving generously. I have to say that again. Because I know in a number, a room of any size, there are going to be people who need to hear that. When you follow Jesus, that's just what you do. You give generously. There's no excuse for not giving generously. So here's a couple of quick tips to help you move up in your giving. Suggestion number one, strive for consistency. That's true of all life, right? Uh, divorcing couples will tell you the same thing. They got along sometimes, but they just didn't get along consistently. That's why they're in the troubles that they are. When we struggle with our health, you know, we eat healthy and we exercise sometimes, but just not what? Consistently. And, and the same is true for our giving. If you have to decide each week if you're going to give and how much you're going to give, you're just not going to give consistently. Because if we've already established, there are plenty of things that happen, not just weekly, but every day where you can say, ah, oh, things are just a little too tight right now, right? There's always going to be something that's going to come up and something's going to happen. And there's going to be plenty of good reasons that you cannot spare anything to give back to God. But when you decide in your heart, in your mind to give and to give joyfully and generously, he will show up every time. And if you have to decide each week if you're going to give and how much you're going to give, you'll be subject to every crisis that hits and they will hit. So a great tool for consistency is our modern technology that we have is, is online giving. I, this is what our family has done, and I, I shared with you that, you know, we've got a, a big family, and things can be tight many times for us. And, but we set up uh, the amount we wanted to give, and we said we're going to have it come out every week, and it's going to come out. You can do it every month or twice a week, a month if you want, whatever you want to do, but we said we're going to set it up, and we're going to do it. And I'm, I'm honest, y'all. I'm honest. Sometimes we are like people watching the lottery numbers. Because we're like, uh-oh, our giving's coming out, and we had a lot of things go out, and we got, ain't got a lot coming in, and we're just waiting for that deposit to come in, and we're like watching those numbers. Oh, 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 oh yeah, they crossed just right. <laughs> you know, we can eat. Okay, y'all ain't thinking that's fun. Yeah, yeah. It's too real, right? It's too real. That's why you can't snicker at it. It's too fresh. You know, I mean, because we're like, oh my goodness. But, but we said, hey, we're going to trust God and we're going to give even when it doesn't look like we can give because my God's bigger than any numbers. 
My God is bigger than any of my plans or any of my schemes. He is bigger. And I don't know what that money is going to do to help change eternity. So I can't help but give it. And I don't say that to build myself up because I've learned a lot from my wife. She taught me to be a giver. I had a scarcity mindset, but we set it up and we do it. And so I encourage you to look into that. You can set it up to be recurring. You can set it up to happen each week and trust God to show up. And there's some cool stories of how he shows up. Suggestion two is this. Be strategic. Um, Christian Financial Resources, who Darren Key is the CEO of Christian Financial Resources, is one of our planting partners. They gave us a, a grant to help us get started years ago now. And they have something called, which many organizations do, called a donor-advised fund. It's called a giving fund. And so you give, your, you set aside your money in there, and you tell them where you want to send your money, and they'll send it weekly or monthly or whatever like that, and they'll send it out, and you'll gain interest. And here's the really cool thing. The interest and the money that, that comes into it goes and helps plant churches and helps build church buildings. It does all kinds of cool things for God's kingdom. It doesn't just sit there collecting dust or disappearing in your checking account. You get to give and give regularly and change God's world and this kingdom for the better. And it makes your record keeping simple. There's no tracking down of multiple giving receipts of the year. They say, boom, here's how much you gave throughout the year. You can use your talents to give to God to help increase your generosity. You can give non-cash gifts like stock. Darren shares in his book, he says, when you give appreciated assets like stock to a church or another charity, you never have to pay taxes on the gains, which allows you to give more. And it helps you and it helps the church or it helps the charity. So you can give creatively. There's ways that you can give. Panama City, 2017. A lady by the name of Roberta Ursery and her family were going out to enjoy a day at the beach. And Roberta looked out at the waves and she saw that her boys had gotten caught in a riptide and were getting sucked out to sea. And they were screaming, they were panicking, they were going below the surface. And so she jumps in and she's swimming out there to try to save them. And guess what? She gets caught in a riptide. Another woman by the name of Jessica Simmons is there at, her, at the beach with her husband. And so she sees what's going on and, and she gets into action. She springs into action and she starts grabbing people and said, let's make a human chain. And so they got 80 people to hold hands and step out into the water. And they saved every single one of those people. And the reason I tell you that story is because one person by themselves will end up just like Roberta, right? Just getting sucked out into trouble too. But when we all join hands together, there's no telling how many lives we can save. And when the church pulls their money together to trust God to provide and to make it multiply and do more than we ever dreamed, there's no telling what we can do for God's glory, for God's kingdom, how we can change the world and countless eternities. So I want you to consider a couple of ideas as we close this morning. If you struggle with being at least a generous giver, have you considered that you've benefited from years, if not centuries, of other believers giving generously? Forgive me for repeating stories, but they're too good not to share every now and then. But another founding partner of Movement Church was a group called the, it was a dilly of a name, Eastern North Carolina Christian Men's Fellowship. <laughs> Even the acronym's horrible. 
But these godly men, 40 plus years ago, sat around a kitchen table up, I believe, in Hertford, North Carolina, in the northeast part of North Carolina, and they said, we need more churches in North Carolina, so that people, eastern North Carolina, so that people can know Jesus and hear the gospel and obey it. And so they set out a plan to plant churches, and they planted a few churches, and then, like a lot of organizations over time, the, the organization sort of lost its focus for a little bit, and it just sort of became a, a good thing, a men's meeting, but they didn't plant a lot of churches after the first huge explosion of churches. Well, about 15 years ago, a group of guys said, we need to help revive this ministry and plant more churches. And they planted their first church about 12 or 14 years ago. And then a few years later, they planted another, and then they planted another, and then they planted another. And then one of the churches they decided to help plant was a church by the name of Movement Church. And after Movement Church got started in October of 2017, uh, very soon after that, uh, a young man came with his family and had one little boy, and they started attending the church, and he introduced himself, and he said, my name um, is so-and-so, and my grandfather was one of, one of the very first people who started the Eastern North Carolina Christian Men's Fellowship, Mr. Melvin Steins. And I knew that guy. I knew him. He was a professor at the Bible college where I went to. And he started an organization 40 plus years ago when he did not have a grandson that existed yet. And it started a church 40 plus years later that his son was a, or his grandson was able to come and be a part of. I'm telling you, that's the kind of things that happen when God gets in the picture and we trust God enough to give. There are people that have given for centuries and for years and they've given thousands of dollars. And so why shouldn't we reciprocate and help continue to help more and more people know and obey the gospel? And then lastly this. And this is a serious question. Everybody focus in for just one final moment. If everybody in the church practiced the same level of generosity that you do, would the church have to scale back its ministry? Would it have to close its doors? Or would it be thriving? Would it be changing eternities for years to come? That's a question I want you to ask, and I want you to answer yourself. So the question is, what do you need to do today? Today, maybe you need to surrender everything to Jesus for the very first time. We were able to witness another baptism into Christ this past Sunday after church. That was awesome. We'll show you, share with you a little bit later about that. But maybe today that's your decision, is you need to surrender everything. And it's funny, Darren talks about in this chapter of the book that we're covering today, the same little joke I made a couple weeks ago. He says, uh, you know, it's like some people are baptized and they're holding their wallet out of the water. <laughs> Make sure you kind of bring that in there too. Every part of your life, give it to him. Because you'll never find joy. You'll never find fulfillment. You'll never find what you've been looking for unless you surrender everything to him. And if you surrender everything to him, you'll get to look back when we all get to heaven and you'll get to see a train of people who got to know Jesus because you were willing to trust him with every single part of your life. So what do you need to do today to stand with sin? Thank you for listening to Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Want to learn more about us? You can do that by visiting our website at movement.com. 
movementchristianchurch.com or on our app available on iOS and Android devices under Movement in Seed.